Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing the Leavers ads, the 23rd episode of season 2, and the final part of the two-part fucking finale. Yes. This episode was written by the show's creator, directed by Gregory Prage, and originally aired on the WB on May 24th, 2005. We will be taking a short hiatus before we return for season three, but we have a lot of fun things planned in the meantime. Yes, we do, Caitlin. First up, on June 7th, for our patrons at the $10 level, we will be releasing an episode of Baker Soundstage, which is a podcast where Caitlin and I talk about movies that are tangentially related to One Tree Hill. And this episode, we are going to be talking about... A Cinderella story. Ooh, so exciting. Starring <laughs> Chad Michael Murray and Hilary Duff. I think Hilary Duff is actually the more important person in this movie, because I fucking love Hilary Duff. Have I ever talked about that with you? A little bit, but I feel like I haven't heard the full, like, scope of your love. <laughs> I really love her. Every few months I develop, like, a hyperfixation on her, so. And this movie, I feel like, is uh, gonna start another hyperfixation, so... <laughs> That should be fun to talk about. <laughs> but yes, so once again, that episode will go live on June 7th for all patrons at the $10 level. And on June 18th, we will be doing our very first live watch of the third season premiere episode, Like You Like an Arsonist. And this will be on our Patreon Discord server, where you can gain access on Patreon. And we have so many fun conversations already on there, and we'll be doing a live watch together. So once we get closer to that date, we will talk about a time that works for everyone who wants to participate. Hell yeah. I am so excited to be able to like actually watch an episode of One Tree Hill in tandem with everybody. Uh, same. And it's a good episode. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. And uh, beginning our favorite season, too. It's going to be amazing. So just to give you all like a little heads up about how this will work. Basically... We will all hit play at the same time on our DVDs or on our ad-free streaming services. So if you're watching on the streaming service, make sure that you're watching it on the ad-free version. It's available on Hulu and HBO Max right now. And as we watch together, we will chat and discuss all the fun things in our favorite season premiere. And that will be for our patrons at the $2 level and above. And then just a few days later... On Tuesday, June 21st, those same patrons at the $2 level will gain access to our actual episode on the third season premiere three whole weeks before it goes live for everyone. Once again, that is for the $2 level patrons. So, June 18th, chat with us live, and then days later, listen to our episode. Should be fun. Lots of fun. And then we have some more stuff. <laughs> oh my god, this is overwhelming, Caitlin. Okay, too many surprises. Okay. It really is. This is a lot. <laughs> uh, we have our royal reviews for the patrons of the $5 level, and we have been basically commenting on the Drama Queens podcast with Hillary Burton, Sophia Bush, and Joy Lenz. We've been doing that for a few months now. We comment on their episodes and discuss like just all our reactions to ever, all the good stuff that we're learning about. And we're just going to continue to release those. And we usually le- release those in chunks. So they come out periodically. 
And the fun thing about their special episodes is that they're completely unfiltered and uncensored. Kayla and I will talk, we don't just talk about drama queens. Sometimes we'll talk about life. Sometimes we'll go off topic. Our most recent episode was like two and a half hours. And we did not talk about One Tree Hill that entire time. So. <laughs> yeah, we definitely go off on tangents. <laughs> so if you just want an insight into some of our like live conversations that are unedited and unfiltered and that brings you joy, come on. Join us for at Royal Review. And if you support us on Patreon, we really, really appreciate the support. We really, really do. Like, we can't thank you enough. Um, however, we understand if money could be an issue if you're in supporting us. So if you can't support us financially, you can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the easiest way to support us. It helps uh, other listeners find us. And you can also leave us a review on Spotify. I don't know how much it actually helps the algorithm, but it can hurt. So leave us a review there as well. And if you like the show and leave us a positive review, we may read it. Just like I'm about to read a review right now. Ooh, what do we have here? This review comes from Dr. Margaret Weaselbooty. I don't know if that's your real name, but I appreciate it. And <laughs> I love it, and it gave me a little chuckle. So, <laughs> Dr. Margaret Weaselbooty says, What a fun podcast. These co-hosts are absolutely delightful. And made me feel like hanging out in my living room and catching up with two old friends. Their analysis really opened my eyes to parts of the show I hadn't picked up on when watching either. I can't wait for the next episode. Oh, that's so sweet. That was adorable. I love it. So we love reading some of these reviews. We really appreciate it. And also, you know, if you really like us, tell your friends about us. Tell your family. Tell your cats. You know? (laughs) My cat enjoys listening to me talk all the time, and I'm pretty sure other cats will, too. (laughs) (laughs) Equal opportunity. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, let's get into our episode on Season 2, Episode 23, The Lieber's Dance. As a reminder, this podcast is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Packs up her things to visit her parents for the summer. Lucas asks Brooke if they are going to talk about Peyton and the letter she found in his closet. Brooke tells him that she's relieved she found that stuff because it was evidence of what happened in the past, and now they can just stay friends. Ellie from the Alternative Press magazine wants to interview Peyton, but Peyton declines at first. After Ellie's persistence, Peyton finally sets up an interview with her. Later on, though, she calls to reschedule and finds out that Ellie doesn't actually work for the magazine after all. After receiving creepy instant messages from a screen name called Watch Me Watch You, and assuming they are coming from Ellie, Peyton tells Ellie to leave her alone. In other news, Karen decides to go to New Zealand to visit Andy. Deb returns from rehab and asks Nathan why he isn't going to High Flyers this summer. Nathan tells Deb that Dan said her addiction started when Nathan moved out. Deb gets upset about this and clarifies that she just wants her and Nathan to be a family again. Dan threatens Whitey for meddling with Deb, Nathan, and High Flyers. Lucas continues to spy on Dan and figures out the combination to his safe where he finds the ledger. Lucas finds Deb the ledger to use against Dan, but that plan is short-lived because Dan reminds Deb that she is part owner of the dealership too. Any crime that he committed, 
she could also get in trouble for. Deb tells Nathan that they can't leave Dan just yet because of something that Lucas found. Nathan becomes angry with Lucas for the many lies he's told recently, from spying on Dan to visiting Haley. Dan reveals to Lucas that the ledger and money were fake and a test of his loyalty, and that Lucas means nothing to him. Lucas tells Dan that he means nothing to him, too. Nathan tells Lucas that when he returns from High Flyers, they are no longer friends or brothers anymore. And in the final moments... Lucas and Brooke say goodbye and share a kiss. Lucas confesses his feelings for Brooke, but all Brooke says is that she has to leave now since her taxi is waiting. Ellie shows up at Peyton's doorstep and reveals that she's her mother? Haley surprises Nathan at his doorstep. Lucas and Peyton sit on the beach together, and Lucas says, It looks like it's just you and me this summer. And Zan drinks the whiskey that was left on his desk with an anonymous note for everything you've done. As he starts to not feel well and notices drugs were mixed in his drink, someone dressed in all black enters the office, lights a match, and sets the dealership on fire. Who torched Dan Scott's? Dun dun dun. Showing up at people's doorsteps unannounced, I'm Caitlin Olenich. And on the opposite extreme, setting fires to my enemies, I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> Both really creepy. <laughs> yeah, why are you showing up to people's doorsteps unannounced for, Caitlin? Like, that's kind of kind of rude. It was definitely a trend in this episode, at least in the coda, because Haley comes to Nathan's door and Ellie comes to Bean's door and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about, yeah, I was only thinking about Haley. I completely forgot that Ellie is also there as well. But yep. yeah, that's uh, that's two instances. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> Gotta love it. I can't wait to get into details about those particular storylines and everything else as well. I know. This episode is on fire. It really, really, really is. <laughs> I can't believe we're here, and I can't wait to talk about it, and I just love it so much. (laughs) Yep, like, seriously, like, I've been, like, burning up to talk about this episode. It's, oh my gosh, there's so, this is gonna be a long one, folks. (laughs) (laughs) So, get ready, buckle in, let's not even cut any corners, though, let's talk about the song, which is By the Veils, which I didn't realize that both part one and part two of this finale were both... Veil songs. And not only that, but the Coda is also a Veil song. They must have had some deal with this band or something. <laughs> We're just going to use all these songs. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting because, I don't know, they obviously got inspired by this group for various reasons. But I think just like in the last episode, though, I feel like the song is very much on the nose. It's about a breakup. But I think it's less so about the breakup, and it's more about, like, you're ready to leave the past behind, and you're ready to start something new. And that happens with a lot of these characters right now. I totally agree. I don't really have much more to say beyond that I feel like the song, and I don't think we actually said the title of the song just now, actually. <laughs> Did we say The Lever's Dance? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I think we said The Artist, but but not the title. <laughs> well, they heard us saying in the intro. They're like, they know the episode title. They're good. We have smart listeners. <laughs> it's all good. Well, one thing I do want to note about this song is this song actually does play in One Tree Hill in season three. I won't give really? anything away for, for people, but yes. Oh. And I 
I've always really, really liked this actual song. Oh, yes. interesting. It was featured on my <laughs> One Tree Hill sound or soundtracks that I used to make. Yeah. Can you can you can you say which episode? Episode three. It's the first song of the episode. Nothing okay. major is happening. Um. But yeah, I I love this song. I really, really do. Really. And I okay. yes. I never looked at the lyrics until today, though, because I don't know. I just never did. And I agree with you that it's about, like, people moving on. And I think the song, it's a little unclear. Like, some of the lyrics are a little confusing to me. But I think, like, there's some kind of breakup going on and, like, just trying to figure out, like, how you move on from that. Growing apart from someone else, basically. Yeah. The only thing I want to know is that you notice the song is called The Leaver's Dance, like, no apostrophe. It's not yeah. like it's talking about, like, one person. It's, like, the leavers dance. Yeah. It's, like, kind of like, you know, a bunch of people are leaving and they're, like, dancing out, like, out of frame, like, out of out of Tree Hill in this instance. Yeah, that's a good point. I noticed that it didn't have the apostrophe either. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, the lever was not possessive, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's talking about, like, yeah, multiple people. Yeah. You're right. Like, there are a bunch of people leaving Tree Hill. We have Karen going to New Zealand. We have Brooke going across the country. Um, we have Haley coming back from her tour. <laughs> so she's leaving, leaving one- her tour, though. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. She's leaving that. Um, Nathan's leaving his apartment. Oh, I forgot about that, honestly. Obviously, I knew it, but yeah. I wasn't even thinking about making that connection. Does does that cover everything? I think it does. Yeah, I think so. It's it's like a universal feeling that like they're all leaving together. It's a different chapters. It is. It's a good it's a good title for the finale, really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like it. All right. Are we ready for the big stuff? <laughs> <laughs> There's I'm sorry, there are just like so many like big bombshells to like cover in this episode because like I didn't know, like, what order to put stuff in, like, you know, in order to, like, put our discussion outlines together. I had no idea how to fucking organize this, because there's just so much shit. But I decided to put Deb's return and her offer to Nathan as the first bullet point. Yeah, and that happens early in the episode that we see Whitey actually go and pick up Deb from rehab, Mm -hmm. which that was a nice little surprise. Yeah, he told Dan, or he didn't tell Dan, he told the people at the office to, like, uh, set Dan back an hour, which was really interesting and manipulative, but it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? I mean, anything anyone does cannot nearly be as manipulative as what Dan does. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And Whitey had good intentions because he wanted to talk to Deb about Nathan and High Flyers. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we know, like, from the previous episode, or the the first part of the finale, Nathan was unsure about High Flyers. He didn't want to go because of his family, basically. He wanted to give them another shot. And Whitey really wanted him to pursue this because it would be a good thing for him. So I think Whitey had a good idea to talk to Deb because Dan obviously was being so unreasonable at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, later on... Zab confronts Nathan, and she says, Nathan, listen to me. You misunderstood me when I said that I wanted us to be a family again. I want us to be a family again. You and me. Will you come with me? And then that's when everything becomes clear. They have a mission. They need to get out 
under Dan Scott's grasp. Yeah, I really do not blame them at all. They need to get out from Dan. Mm-hmm. And I know it's sad because Nathan really thought, like, his whole family would be together, but I think he realizes. I mean, what do you think? Do you think... What are his actual... I know he wants to get away from Dan, but it's, like, so complicated with Nathan and Dan at the same time. I think it's probably just one of those situations where, like, you want the whole family to be together again because, you know, you just want that sort of familial connection. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's also kind of tragic because this is all that Nathan's known. He's only known, like, having a toxic family with, with Dan being the toxic part, I should specify. Yeah, I think ideally he wants them all to be together again, but, like, I think also at the same time, realistically, Nathan realizes that it's just not possible because just Dan's actions speak for themselves. But at the same time, he's upset that Lucas, this is where it gets complicated, because he's upset that Lucas is trying to spy on Dan and bring him down. I'm glad you said something about that, too, because I was thinking to myself, like, come on, Nathan, like, you don't want to be with Dan anymore. Like, you should try to work with Lucas to try to come up with a smoking gun together. Yeah, this whole story could have went differently. Yeah. So I think Nathan is more mad that Lucas kept investigating after Nathan already told Lucas, like, hey, I want my family to be together again. And granted, Nathan ended up getting, like, all this all this information about Dan, like the fact that De- that he lied about Deb starting the pills after Nathan moved out. But Lucas doesn't know that Nathan knows that. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So I, I think Nathan's just more mad about the fact that like Lucas just went against his word in general. Mm-hmm. It just added to the lies, I guess. Yeah, but... But still, like, I, I get, like, I get why you're mad, Nathan. Like, your your brother went against his word, but come on, don't you just, re- shouldn't you just realize, like, hey, like, you need all the allyship you, you can get right now because you need to get out of this toxic situation. I know, and also to just to help his mom get out of this toxic situation. Mm-hmm. She's in a vulnerable place just coming from rehab, and you know she wants a divorce because she wanted a divorce before rehab. I yep. mean, it's been a long time. Oh, but it is just so complicated. And it all yeah. comes down to like how Nathan, he's like torn between everything. It's sad. But regardless, Lucas and Nathan ends up essentially breaking up their brotherhood. Nathan's like, hey, like the only thing I need you for is to shoot free shots or, or whatever he says. It's basketball terms. He was throwing basketball terms out there <laughs> that we don't know. <laughs> this brother thing, we're not doing it anymore. And it was so nice to see them grow as brothers these past two seasons. And now this is such like a reversal of that. And it's an unnecessary one because like Lucas has good intentions here. But I know that Nathan, I I think he can see the bad in Dan. But like there is some good that he has seen in his life that Lucas really has never seen. So, I mean, I understand why Lucas wants to just keep digging and digging and digging. And Nathan's a bit more torn. It's not black and white. <laughs> There's a lot of gray here with Nathan's situation. Mm-hmm. And speaking of complicated things, it looks like Karen saw Keith in front of Karen's cafe. I know. It was like a split second. And he he's standing on the opposite side of the sidewalk 
and a car goes by and then he's gone. So was he a ghost? Was it real? He was just blurry enough. So it's like, was she actually seeing him? Or was it her imagination? Is it just what she wanted in that moment? Because she's missing Andy so much. I know. So I'm trying to figure out why they would have included something like this in the episode. Are we supposed to believe that Karen, she saw Keith and like it made her realize that she should be with the ones she loves when she has the chance? And that's what made her ultimately decide to go see Andy? Maybe. Or maybe, like, it's, like, a part of her imagination. She's like, oh, Keith Keith is there. Oh, Keith is gone. Just, like, in my real life right now. So that's why she decides to go off and visit Andy, who is very much a real person, who is very present in her life. Yeah. Maybe she needs to stop waiting for Keith if he's just going to disappear, quote-unquote. Yeah. I like that take, too. But who knows? Was that Keith who was actually there? Was it Karen's imagination? I don't really know, Caitlin. I don't know either, and we don't get much more from the storyline. <laughs> that, that's it, because Lucas basically convinces Karen to go see Andy. That you know they don't have maybe maybe they don't have money to both fly out there, but like they have money for one ticket, and um, Karen ultimately decides to go. Which I think she needs to follow her heart a little bit more, and I'm glad she did make the decision to go see Andy. She did do that, even though she left her 17-year-old son alone for for how long? I don't know. How long is Karen going to be gone for? <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. But, you know, he is 17. So. And Brooke, Brooke is leaving. So it's not like she was leaving Brooke and Lucas in the house by themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would be a little questionable. But, like, could you imagine at 17, like, living on your own? <laughs> I know Nathan Haley did that, like, for God knows how long now, at this point. Yeah, if Karen is going to be gone for a long, long time, like weeks, I mean, I could see a, a week. Yeah. So in season three, we'll find out how long Karen is actually gone. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> let's just assume she's going to be gone for a short trip. <laughs> she's going to be gone for a little bit. But who knows if she will be gone for a long period of time, because she keeps calling for Andy and then finds out that he has never checked in. Yeah, what was with that? They showed, like, two scenes with her calling the hotel. And also, can you even call a hotel and get that information? I'm pretty sure you can. I think you can get, like, run off to somebody's room. You can't get, like, their room number or anything like that. Yeah. But you, like, call the hotel and be like, hi, I would like to speak to Andy Hargrove. And they'll be like, okay, like, I'll rent up his room for you. Oh, okay. I think. I don't know. I've never actually done that because you know why? We have cell phones. <laughs> we, yeah. we don't need to actually, like, rent up the people's hotel rooms for shit like that. I know. And at this point, like, Andy should have had a cell phone anyway because he's so rich. Like, why would he have not had a cell phone? Or maybe he does and he just hasn't been answering or responding to her messages. And so this is why Karen's, like, concerned. She's like, wait a minute. Andy isn't answering. I don't know. Is Andy in New Zealand? That's the question. I know. They're leading us to believe he's maybe not. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, um, Dan threatens Whitey. Let's just completely switch gears here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going all over the place right now on this outline. There's no way to, like, transition from, like, bombshell one, bombshell two. Like, we, we just we just can't. We're just going <laughs> to abruptly go, okay? 
Yeah, this whole scene with Dan and Whitey, oh my gosh, it's so, so infuriating. And, like, Whitey's trying to do this good thing with the High Flyers, and ordinarily, you would think that Dan would like this. But no, he is prioritizing his family for once. It's just like a weird reversal of what how this show started. Now that you mention that, yeah, that is kind of weird. It's like, don't you want Nathan to, like, go far in basketball? Which is what High Flyers could do for him. Yeah. So why do you suddenly now, like, want Nathan to be, like, under your thumb? I guess maybe it's just part of that whole control aspect. Like, he wants to control Deb, and he wants to control Nathan, but he has to do it, like, when both of them are in the house at the same time. Because don't forget, like, even, uh, even Deb mentions... To Dan, she says that, oh, you know I wouldn't come back if I, unless I knew that Nathan was coming home. So that could be a piece of it right there. He just wants to be in control of, like, everyone. Yeah, I think you're right. And he's fearful of losing his family permanently because things have gotten so bad, almost to the point of no, I mean, it really is the point of no return (laughs) because Deb wants out, Nathan's unhappy, but Dan, like, keeps forcing it. You know, he's like trying to force this family and it's just not things aren't right anymore. And he needs to realize that. But, you know, Dan is stubborn. Yeah. I just don't like how he has to blame Whitey for this. Mm-hmm. Because Whitey wants Whitey actually wants what's best for Nathan. Whitey is definitely more of a father figure than Dan is. And you know what? I really wish, you know, just I'm just going to lead into this again. Give Barry Corbin more work on this show. <laughs> I know. Because they could really lead into this aspect, like making Whitey into like a father figure for Nathan. They could, because Whitey is just so much more reasonable. And you're right. He truly does want what's best for Nathan. He would not direct Nathan in the wrong way. So, ugh. And then Dan is like threatening. He's threatening Whitey because he's part of the school board or whatever. And I was thinking, oh, my God, that's a horrifying thought to think of Dan Scott on a school board. (laughs) He has too much control over everything. So he's trying to get essentially get Whitey out of his coach position. Yes. Because honestly, it's just because he's mad and he just wants to be petty and passive aggressive. Like, seriously, like. Dan Scott, like, I could just imagine him on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race just being fucking petty, like, in his confessional booth. Like, I could just imagine him being like, listen, okay, the coach decided to fuck with my family, so you know what? I'm gonna fuck with him, okay? (laughs) Yeah, it is really, really petty. I am so over it. At the same time, I am loving it, but I'm over it. I I wanna read this interaction between Whitey and Dan now. Oh, sure. Whitey says... You know, most people, when they go, they leave the world a lesser place. But not you. No. The world won't even blink. And then Dan says, Well, you know, wouldn't you, Whitey? And then he blinks repeatedly. Talk about Whitey's eye health, so it's like a passive-aggressive little jab right there. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Whitey says, You're playing with fire, Danny. And you are about to get burns. So, Whitey is clearly pissed off. Ooh, I'm glad you read that. Because I didn't I didn't pay attention to those to that dialogue. Like How can like, you not? <laughs> like super closely to remember exactly what was said. Oh yeah. 
These little yeah. little nods like that will always stick out to me. I knew it was fiery. That was like yeah. really heated. It was very heated. <laughs> <laughs> and there is no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that pun wasn't intended because every pun I've been making about fire has been intended for the record. <laughs> no, no, it really was not, but... It works. <laughs> so say, damn, Caitlin, you're on fire. <laughs> Gosh, sick burn. <laughs> oh, it just made me so angry. Even just hearing you just say it again. Yup. Shall we talk about, uh, about <sighs> Allie? Again, I'm just doing awkward transitions between one thing to the next. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're moving fast here. <laughs> we kind of are. I mean, a lot happens, but, like, it's really, like, beat by beat by beat, so it's kind of, like, I feel like it's an easy episode to talk about. Yeah. Maybe it's not going to be as long as we thought it was going to be, just because the episode's so tight and so compacted and, like, a little, little tiny bow. It's just so, ugh, it's so good. I know there's not a lot of breathing room in this episode. It's one thing after the next, after the next, <laughs> after the next. For sure. It isn't all over the place as some episodes more recently, I feel like, kind of. Yeah. This episode is actually told in chronological order, <laughs> unlike in the previous episode where we're like, what the what the fuck is happening? And when is this happening? You're right. There's no flashbacks in this episode. <laughs> it's really weird to think about that like this was a two-part finale, because I know like we talked a lot about how we can't imagine this being th- this being two episodes, but thematically, like looking at the two episodes separately, it does make sense. I mean, it's all connected and all builds off each other, but they are directed so differently. They could be two parts, but they could also be two separate episodes. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Exactly, for sure. <laughs> so back to Ellie. We have Ellie show up at Trick to interview Peyton because she is a journalist for Alternative Press magazine. Yes. And Peyton's reaction is that she doesn't, she's not interested. So she declines the offer because the show previously in the in the previous night with Jimmy Eat World, she's she's claiming that that's her last show, mm-hmm. which is hard to believe. Why do you think she's saying that's her last show? Just because she's so upset about Jake? Like, what is that? What does one thing have to do with the other? She's a teenager with a lot of emotions. That's one piece of it. But um, yeah. I also think uh, a lot of it has to just stems from like having this House of Freaks show at Trick. House of Freak show. What's the, what's the best way to describe House of, House of Freaks segment? What is the best way to describe it? I don't know. House of Freaks. That's what it was called. Like when she was doing the all ages night, she called it the House of Freaks. Or was that just one night? Did she call it that? <laughs> That's what she called it. Like the beginning of the season back when she first started putting this together. I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's not called House of Freaks at all. Maybe that was just a one night thing and I'm just really projected. Anyhow. I feel like they call it more frequently than an all ages all ages night. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm just so I'm just gonna ignore that. Well, Keep you're probably in. right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, like these these all ages nights uh, essentially ended up making things spiral out of control. Because look what happened. Like that's how Haley met Chris Keller. Also, if you think about it on a deeper way, too, this is also what made uh, Peyton spiral into into doing cocaine with that Rick guy. And then that's what necessitated Jake to come back. And then Jake came back and had to leave. So it essentially caused a lot of, like, heartbreak for her, I guess you could say. So maybe this is her way of 
just saying like, hey, like me starting this all ages and I cause all these problems. And I just don't want any more problems. Oh, She's wow. feeling very mopey right now. Yeah, she definitely is feeling mopey. That's a good answer. It's just, she does such a good job with these all ages nights. It's a shame that like all this other stuff is going to then impact that. But you have a point. Like she's associating a lot of this trauma that she's dealt with with the music. But at the same time, like this brings her a lot of joy. So why would she stop feeling that joy because of all this shit? I know. I feel like she didn't even, couldn't even enjoy the Jimmy Eat World concert. <laughs> She's crying on the balcony the whole time. Yeah. Also, the, in this episode, uh, there's a conversation between Brooke and Peyton that kind of led me to believe that Peyton just never showed up. Like, she was outside of Trick, but she never. I don't think she ever actually went inside to see the concert. Wow. Because Brooke actually asked, hey, I was looking for you last night. I thought you stayed in with Jake. And then that's when Peyton reveals to Brooke, like, Jake's gone. True, yeah, they never talked about it, so they never even saw each other. Yeah, because remember, Brooke, uh, she introduces Jimmy Eat World at Trick, and it was originally supposed to be Peyton. She says, meet my best friend Peyton Sawyer, then Peyton never came on stage. Yeah. Which I thought that was kind of interesting that, like, Brooke never addressed that. She's like, hey, where is Peyton? <laughs> like, wouldn't you think she'd at least text Peyton or something? But I know. Yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Huh. I never even thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> she just assumes like oh i just thought you were in with your boyfriend i'm like girl like do you only think peyton would just like let go with something like this for a boy no no not at all oh my gosh but anyway let's talk a little bit more about laura palmer who is cheryl lee who plays Allie. who's wait laura palmer <laughs> i love making these pop culture references <laughs> and, then, and then you're like uh like what is that <laughs> I don't know who that is. And then I get to explain to the audience what this is. Uh, Cheryl Lee played uh, Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. Did you watch Twin Peaks? I did not. Okay. So th- the best way to describe uh, Laura Palmer is she was the Lily Kane of the early 90s. Interesting. Twin Peaks, like, she gets murdered in the first episode, and then all we see is, like, flashbacks here and there. Ah, okay. Okay. Of the character, but anyway, yeah, she was Laura Palmer. She's essentially the big mystery of uh, on Twin Peaks. Like, who killed Laura Palmer? And but she's still popping up as a ghost around the town, which is kind of relevant here if you think about it. Yeah, that's true. She well, we'll get to that later. But but regardless, <laughs> she comes out of nowhere for this yes. interview, and Peyton declines. She has a right to decline it, but Ellie keeps pushing. And somehow Peyton ends up at Karen's cafe to meet with her, like, more so informally. That wasn't, I guess, really an interview. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, an actual interview is scheduled, which is off screen. Yeah. And then Peyton calls to reschedule that interview and finds out that Ellie is not even part of that magazine company. So... That is sketchy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And in the meantime, we're seeing, like, a lot of really weird, like, interactions between Peyton and and Allie. Like, there's a moment, like, when they first meet at the bar, and Allie says, it's really good to meet you, Peyton, and then puts her hand on Peyton's hand. So it kind of leads you think, like, what is is happening here? Is, Is Allie in love with Peyton? What's going on? And she calls her house, too. 
yeah, calls her house, and at the same time, Peyton's also getting these creepy IM messages from somebody named Watch Me Watch You. I know. So, we don't know what that's about, and Peyton assumes it's Allie who's sending these messages, so the timing is just really weird. It is really weird, because, like, are those messages from Ellie? We find out later. Well, we maybe find out an answer later, (laughs) whether we believe it or not. We'll get to that in the coda. But Ellie is being, like, my first impression, she's being really, really persistent. Mm -hmm. And unnecessarily, because Peyton has made it clear, like, she's unsure. Like, first she declined, and then she's unsure about doing the interview, but she ends up scheduling something and then ellie keeps trying to contact her like over and over again yep i mean i don't know journalists can be pretty persistent yeah (laughs) this is also a teenager though i don't think i've ever i've never interviewed a minor now that i think about it wait no i have but it was never like in a situation where i had to be like pushy or anything like that and even then you got to contact the parents yeah. I'm pretty sure Ellie would have to contact the parents, but Peyton doesn't know this. <laughs> I know, and Thud Magazine is, like, telling her to do it, too. <laughs> there was that one comment that she was like, Thud really wanted me, wanted the press or something, I don't know. Yeah, because it is a great opportunity for Peyton to do this, of course. Yeah, yeah. So just, like, you know, get more, it'll get more attention to Thud Magazine, it would also get more attention to Trick, as well. So it is a great opportunity, but... She is very creeped out by Allie, even though she also thinks Ellie is pretty cool. Like, I love that interaction at Karen's Cafe when she says, nice jacket. And then Allie says, thanks, I stole it from Courtney Love. She was being a bitch, so I took it. <laughs> yeah, that was cute. <laughs> I don't know, like, if you ever, like, met somebody like that, what did you think? Like, you're you're pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. like you. <laughs> she has a cool vibe to her, that's for sure. yeah. Very similar to Peyton, too, I think, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. They both have knowledge about music. And I just love how Ellie was so confident when she came in, like, and carried the keg. She's like, oh, where are you taking this? Okay, like, we'll bring it over here. It just, like, doesn't even, like, hesitate on, like, bringing the keg over or anything. I know. Those are interesting scenes. I'm just really wondering why Ellie is being as pushy as she is, because I think it's crossing a line a little bit. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out about why she's being so pushy and persistent later on yep we'll get there all right how can we awkwardly transition now (laughs) that's how that's how (laughs) lucas does completes his investigation he he figures out the code for the safe and ends up being jersey numbers Mm -hmm. uh his nathan's and dan's and then i think it's so hot when like chad pulls the ledger out of the safe and he's just like Game over. And his eyes get all wide. That was just peak sexy content right there. (laughs) I'm like, yes, daddy. End my career, please. (laughs) I want you to. (laughs) You're hilarious. I literally just have that, like, literally written as a note. Game over. Hot. It doesn't take much for Chad to look hot. (laughs) (laughs) For real. Anywho. So Lucas gets the ledger. He then gives it to Deb. And then uh, Deb confronts Dan, and she's like, oh, are you looking for something? <laughs> and then that's when uh, Deb ends, or that's when Dan ends up confronting Deb and saying that, like, hey, listen, like, you also own the dealership, too. So you can also get arrested. 
And that's when Deb's like, oh, shits. So she and Nathan can't get out of the Scott house as quickly as she wanted to. Yeah, so I really love how Lucas wanted to give Deb the ledger to help her with the divorce and everything. I mm-hmm. loved his intentions there. And I wasn't even thinking about how Deb is part owner of the dealership. Like, I know they use her money to do that, to, like, I guess start the business. But I didn't know that, like, she was actually connected to it. Yeah, I think that I think that was new information, just, uh, yeah. just to throw a wrench into the whole plot. I know it was a that's a good plot um, twist that's for sure because you think oh wow we're really gonna get Dan and then this happens of course yeah at the same time the twist like makes sense it doesn't really come out of nowhere it's like oh it makes sense that Deb also owns part of it okay yeah yeah it's a twist that really made a lot of sense but at the same time like it's just another example of Dan being like one step ahead of everything. And it's so frustrating because you really want Deb and Nathan to get out. And, like, this is such a setback. And then we see the scene with Lucas and Dan. And Dan reveals that he, that the money and the ledger, everything was fake in the end. Because he was basically testing Lucas to see if he was loyal or not. Which really doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Now... I know I said we were going to go back to this in the previous episode, and here we are. I don't understand how this whole plot could add up with this being a plot of Dan's. Because if we look at the last episode, Dan is looking at the ledger safely inside the safe. I don't know how else to say that, safely inside the safe, but you get me. And he's being watched by Andy on the security camera, and that's when Dan says, nice try, Hargrove, and then puts the ledger back in the safe. He has no idea that Andy is watching him. It just doesn't make sense. I feel like they kind of changed the plot at the last minute here in this episode. Like, they said, like, oh, like, let's actually make it so Dan's not a criminal. Let's make it so this is actually a plot. But I think they decided at the last minute, you know? Also, why was Dan so mad at Andy in a previous episode and threw, like, what did he throw? He threw, like, a statue through the window or whatever? Yeah, that makes no sense at all. Like, it doesn't track whatsoever. So, in this episode, when the ledger is missing, I could see why Dan might open it and then look upset because he, basically, Lucas failed the test. I can understand that. Okay, that makes sense. That's clever, actually. If the writers were trying to lead into the whole idea of... This being a scheme of Dan's. Okay, I like that. But all the other stuff you said makes no sense. Like, why was he so angry that he broke the window? How does he know that Andy's spying on him? And and you're right. Like, this whole plot line just seems... It doesn't seem consistent. And this is why I'm always confused about it, exactly what's going <laughs> on. I feel like every time I rewatch it, I kind of skip it over in my head because it just... It doesn't really add up. There isn't any payoff in the end because we find out that it was all fake so yeah it's it's basically just filler and it doesn't lead to anything and and then also too like uh to go back several episodes um it's episode 17 we see lucas spying on dan and dan is hiding the money up in the ceiling like dan thinks he's alone right there so why do we have this whole entire thing to Make us think that Dan actually was doing some type of scheme, like some type of fraud. 
they definitely decided at the last minute, like, oh, this isn't actually uh, a thing that Dana's planning. Yeah, because if they had kept what the original was, like, that he wasn't reporting the money correctly, if they ran with that storyline, like, would he have ended up in jail? Like, I guess the story, it just would have taken a different turn than what we get later on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I I guess they, I guess you're right. They just decided that they didn't want to go in that direction, that they wanted other stories and then they changed it midway through. But it's like every time you get to this episode and you're like following the pieces of the evidence to lead up to it, and you realize like, wait a minute, how? How is this a scheme? Like, this doesn't make any sense. This is, this is about as convoluted as Pretty Little Liars right here. Okay? Oh my God, you're Who right. <laughs> That's another show that has no idea like how to follow like a plot thread all the way through. Nope. I mean, we, we shouldn't be surprised with One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill can't even keep its chronology straight, so. No, but this storyline in particular is just pretty <laughs> bad in terms of, like, yeah. its consistency. I mean, as we get through, I'm sure there are definitely other storylines that lack consistency, too. <laughs> I'd have yeah, to really we'll sit here say. and think about them, but <laughs> this is definitely a big one, I would say. Yeah, like, I remember watching this for the first time and thinking, like, oh, my God, they're going to get Dan, they're going to get Dan. And then we get to the end, find out, like, oh, none of that stuff was real. I'm like, what? Like, you're, you're supposed to... I feel like the audience is supposed to think, oh, no, it was a scheme. Like, Dan was planning this all along to test Lucas's loyalty, but instead you're kind of thinking, like, what? Uh, how? <laughs> exactly. You said that perfectly. But Lucas is having some problems with as a result of this whole interaction, whether it makes sense or not. Um... Dan is no longer paying for his heart medication now, which I'm like, okay, dude, you're you're an asshole. Seriously. <laughs> so, like, oh, it was a test of her loyalty, so you're gonna let him die. Okay, I see where you're going with this. I know, that's pretty messed up. And, like, through all this, Karen still does not know that Lucas is HCM. Oh, my God, that kills me. Mm-hmm. Oh, also the other thing that we that we found out the account in Lucas's name, the college fund, apparently that was real. Yeah, and now, but now that's gone because he had to test his loyalty. <laughs> yeah, that's really a shame. And this this whole conversation I, is unbelievable. Like all the stuff that that Dan says to Lucas. Like I just cannot believe what Lucas has endured from Dan. Honestly, it's so hard to fathom. The stuff that he has said to Lucas. Mm-hmm. And it, just in this conversation alone. Yep. He told Lucas that he loses. And then Lucas says, no, you're wrong. Because I can finally let you go. I mean nothing to you. You mean nothing to me. I'm out. Which was also really hot. I'm just telling you, like, I just want Chad to, like, end me. Like, in this episode. <laughs> I'm like, I'm into it. <laughs> and... It's funny because I think I believe Lucas's words more than I believe Dan's. Because Lucas has a How right. So? He has a right to say to Dan that, that Dan means nothing to him. Because look at how he's Dan has treated Lucas. Yeah, for sure. I think Dan, it's more complicated with Dan. Do you really think that Lucas means nothing to him? I mean, he had this college fund for his whole life set aside for him. And you... Dan can actually say that he just doesn't care. Oh, it's so much more complicated than that. I I, I don't buy that Dan 
that Lucas means nothing to Dan. I mean, Dan can say that all he wants. It's just... He's being petty. <laughs> I'm telling you, he is being... Petty. Fucking petty. But, but. <laughs> that was another fiery conversation in this episode. Oh, for real? Because, damn, they really, they really burned each other, don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, they did. <laughs> so... Awkward Let's transitions. Let's move on to talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's only an awkward transition when you say it's an awkward transition, Caitlin, <laughs> <No>. okay? <laughs> but this is like the best transition. Brucus! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they have some conversations throughout the episode. And then it ends up leading to Lucas finally confessing his feelings for Brooke. He kisses her and he says, I want to be with you, Brooke. And then Brooke's like, what? What about Pete and stuff? And then he says, I keep that stuff as a reminder of how badly I screwed up things with you to remind myself that if I had another chance, I wouldn't let you go again. I actually don't have that written down, and I think those are the exact words, but just like- Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to backtrack for one moment, because that scene obviously was really great. The song that was playing was, was good. Like the whole moment- Excellent. Um, why do you think Lucas didn't, earlier in the episode, why do you think Lucas didn't say anything to Brooke about his feelings for her? Because, like, he comes into her room as she's packing, and he says, like, are we going to talk about Peyton and the letters? Like, this would have been a perfect time to, like, clear the air and tell her that, like, in fact, he has feelings for her. Mm. I'm kind of confused why. I mean, I know why, because we had to make the end of the episode dramatic, and this was right before the coda began. Yeah. We couldn't have him confess this, like, right then and there, because that's too early in the episode. No, no. Like, they would have had to place that elsewhere. But but that scene, like, why, why wouldn't it have happened in that scene? He doesn't say anything. Then Brooke starts to talk and say, like, you know, I'm glad that we're friends because those letters, they were evidence of everything that happened with Peyton. And it just reminds me of all that happened. So let's just focus on being friends. I was just about to bring that up, actually. Maybe Lucas heard that from Brooke and then started to second guess himself and realized, like, oh, God, like, she feels this way. She's she's feeling insecure about us. Maybe she doesn't want to be with me anymore. So then he started to second-guess himself and his worth in Brooke's life. And then he had that steamy dream. <laughs> Which I hate. Why? Why did they Why did they have to put that in? Why did they have... Why couldn't they have made that an actual scene, you know, between them? <laughs> no, I mean, not necessarily, like, why couldn't they have added just an extra Peyton and... Or not Peyton. Brooke and Lucas scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know where my mind's okay. at. <laughs> Damn it, Caitlin. Caitlin Illa bitch, more like Caitlin Illa bitch. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. How dare you? I'm sorry, I guess that was what do you call it? A Freudian slip or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so why couldn't we have gotten an extra Brooke and Lucas scene in the episode? Instead, we get this dream sequence, which is steamy. I mean, it's hot, but like. Why? It's. I don't think it's hot at all. I think it's very male gazy. It is. It honest. is male gazy, but she's in a cheerleading uniform I mean, for one thing. It is what it like, is. 
it's just, it's so stupid that they had Zalagi to show, like, oh, like, he has to get a cold shower the next day. Oh, that part was stupid. Yeah. And then they had the show, like, and then Brooke had to feel that he was getting a cold shower. And she's like, gross, next month, dream, tell Peyton I said hi. So I guess, like, that's further, like, uh, exacerbated Brooke's insecurities because she's automatically thinking that Lucas is getting a cold shower and that he's automatically thinking of Peyton. Okay, it's I want to dissect this. <laughs> Why in the okay. world is Brooke walking into the bathroom? And how does she know the water is cold? Like, she's literally putting her hand she- in the shower as he's in the shower? Come on. Yeah, well, she puts his hand in the sh- she puts her hand in the shower. That's how she realizes the water is I cold. I know, but why would she be like- doing that? Talk about invasive. Be- because she was worried about their running out of hot water, and then she feels, and she's like, oh, no, this isn't hot water. This is cold water. Oh, wait, you're getting a cold shower? I know, but it was really dumb. <laughs> I'm just critiquing it because it was really stupid. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> right, but... It's weird. I don't know why they had to put in this. I think the scenes are misogynistic, personally. It's kind of like putting like uh, the entire worth of of Brooke and Lucas's relationship into the sexual, which I feel like I feel like we've gotten beyond that. I feel like this will make sense in season one, like you know, for for Lucas to have seamy dreams about Brooke, and y- you can have seamy dreams about somebody you're in love with, absolutely, of course. But I feel like we've gotten so far. From, like, where Brooke and Lucas began to where we are now, that we shouldn't be having a dream that's strictly a sex dream. I agree. I think the scene is totally unnecessary. I was just commenting on what it was. I just thought it was steamy because it was just steamy, but I, I don't think it was yeah. needed to be in the episode at all. I I would have taken that out and put something better, like an actual conversation. Yeah. Meanwhile, we talked about this in a previous episode, like, the whole entire, like, uh, mouth and Erica subplot... Which I ended up verifying, I think that was supposed to be in this episode. Like, why couldn't they put that into this episode and take out that little wet dream sequence? (laughs) Yeah, I watched those deleted scenes with Math and Erica. I thought they were, I don't know, I don't think that was necessary. I'm glad that they weren't included in this episode because I feel like this episode is really tight and it, it had all the good stuff in it. And I feel like at this point, they're... Fair enough, yeah. They're kind of like side characters right now. So it was basically those scenes were showing that Mouth was just not confident in himself and in his relationship with Erica, basically. And then Erica decides to stay with him and she wants to be with him. Yeah, but that was the, the nicest part of it all is that, like, she confirmed that, you know, she wanted to stay together through the summer. Yeah, maybe the episode would have been bloated. It kind of would have, like, slowed down the pace a little bit with the other storylines. Yeah, I get it, but I just don't want this fucking wet dream sequence in here, okay? <laughs> I, just, I just want excuses to, like, not have it. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it's funny. You have an issue with it. Also, I don't really have... I mean, I don't have a major issue with it. It is male gazy. Yeah. It's funny that Lucas falls out of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but, I got a chuckle. What I want to know, too, is, like... What teenage boy is automatically going to think, like, oh, I'm going to go get a cold shower? No, your first thought is going to be to masturbate, okay? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to want to <laughs> just get in a cold shower immediately. Come on. Anyway. I know. Who does that? Who actually takes a <laughs> cold shower? 
that that seems to be something that people don't actually do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, does anybody actually do that when they're horny? I feel like that's just, like, something you say. Like, oh, God, that was so hot. I had to take a cold shower. That's something you say as, like, a figure of speech. But, like, you don't actually do it, <laughs> for the record. I know. Yeah, it really is a figure of speech, I think. <laughs> Have a nice summer, Brooke. Oh, that scene was just, it crushed me. Crushed me, because the timing just sucks. Brooke has to leave, of course. But I'm glad Lucas finally confessed, because he's been pining for her this entire season. And he had nothing to lose. Oh. So he went for it. And then, that's when Lavinia by the Veils kicks off. I love this song. It is my favorite musical moment. I can't deny it. Is it yours? I, I like oh, it. Oh, man. I love it so much. I, I like it. I don't know if it's my favorite. Oh. I feel like it goes to, I feel like it goes to another one, but we'll get into that first. Let's talk about what happens in this coda in the most dramatic fashion possible. I know. I just want to say one quick thing. I feel like the song fits the mood so well and it like it swells at the perfect moments like and it just oh my god they timed it with the editing so perfectly. I had to get off that that off my chest. I just love it so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now for some dramatic acting. <laughs> oh yeah. So it kicks off at the dealership. Dan puts the ledger in the safe and then takes a sip of his drink from the bottle he received as a gift earlier. Which, that's not something we talked about earlier. We, he received a gift. A bottle. It seems like a nice bottle, right? And it had a card with it. We don't know what's in the card, but it seemed like a nice gesture. Yeah, it was a bottle of whiskey. Yep. And then we flash to the taxi where Brooke is crying. <sighs> and so are we. I know. Then we flash to Lucas's bedroom. Lucas dumps his HCM medication pill bottle into his hands, and he only has one pill left. Wow, because at the beginning of the episode, we see him with the same pill bottle, and he had he had two, and now he's down to one. So it's really, wow. His dad's just going to let him not get any more. <laughs> like, this is unreal. <laughs> Why are we laughing about I, this? I'm not laughing, really, but like it's so ridiculous <laughs> that I have to laugh. <laughs> It's like, oh gosh, the, the dad's going to let his son die. That's funny. <laughs> oh, Dan Scott. Oh my God. And now we're in Peyton's bedroom. Peyton lays in bed until she hears a knock on her front door. She races downstairs thinking it's Jake only to see Ellie. Which I want to note before we get into this dialogue. This is the one time that someone actually rings Peyton's doorbell. Yes, you are correct. Usually people just enter. So, we have the transcript up of this particular scene, and Caitlin and I are going to perform a dramatic reading. Are you ready for this, Caitlin? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Ellie or Peyton? I want to be Ellie. Okay. So, I open the door. I'm Peyton. You're there. I know it's late. I... You're right. It is late. As a matter of fact, it's half past a crazy bitch, so leave me alone. Peyton, I can explain. Explain what? That you're a stalker or that you're insane and you've been sending me creepy emails? I didn't send you anything. Yeah, right. I called your supposed magazine. They never even heard of you. My name is Elizabeth. Great. So even your name is a lie. Like your middle name, Elizabeth? It's where you got your middle name. 
Who are you? I'm your mother. What? <laughs> oh, damn. I could not... <laughs> like, this scene. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm trying to think about my thoughts when I first saw it. It's so good even when I know, like, what's about to happen. But, yeah. like, I can't really remember the first time I saw this. It was on a DVD. Yeah, you saw this, like, after season three. So, like, you knew, like... You knew what was to come. I was watching this for the most part in real time, and let me tell you, I was completely shocked. Like, because Pants Mom is very much dead, right? Yep. She's been grieving her mother's death the past two seasons on and off, you know? she's It's been addressed in the show. And we haven't seen her dad this entire ep- this entire season, which that's a whole <laughs> other thing. This entire episode. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say episode. Yeah. This entire season. <laughs> So it's just like, you don't even think about Peyton's parents at all. And then now we have her mother at her doorstep. Yeah. So what is the deal with this woman? And I also want to make a light note for everybody to put into their vampire diaries. And they just sort of like skim by this in the conversation. But those creepy messages, Ellie said that she did not send those. Yeah. And whether we believe it, I don't know. But I just want to have everybody put that in their back pockets. Yeah, that's a good thing to put or make note of because we we don't know if it's the truth but we are back at the dealer sheet dealer sheep we're back at the dealership <laughs> dan takes another sip of his drink only to discover a white powdery substance he looks over at the card it reads for everything you've done he then accidentally knocks the bottle on the floor as he seemingly puts the pieces together that this bottle was not the gift he thought it was and then a person dressed in black enters, flicks a lighter, and drops it onto the spilled alcohol, lighting Dan's office on fire as he loses consciousness. Oh my god. <laughs> this is insane. That moment gives me chills every time when you see that black cloaked figure. I know. I, I just can't believe that we're... We're getting all of this story, like Peyton's mother, now Dan's burning in the dealership because some unknown person lit it on fire. Yeah. It's just one thing after the next. This was the Who Shot JR of 2005, kids. Okay. Is that another pop culture reference I have to explain to you, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's JR? Dallas was a show from the 1970s. Oh. There was a character named JR who everybody hated, much like Dan, and a lot of people had motives for wanting him dead. At the end of a particular season, he gets shot, and you have no idea who shoots him. And then that's the cliffhanger for the next season. Who shot JR? That's why I said, who torched Dan Scott? It was like, because I'm saying that yep, syllables, yep. you know, I was trying for that. Yeah. Okay, okay. You should be aware of this. And uh, on Jane Diverge, and they actually played on that a little bit because there's a character named JR. Oh. She shoots somebody, but us, the audience, doesn't know who she shoots. So they, they made the text go across the street. JR shot who? <laughs> yeah, I never caught that. So now when you watch Jane Diverge, you can appreciate that joke a little bit more. <laughs> <gasps> oh, I love that. Okay, thank you. You always have you the so pop culture references. 
Yeah, I don't know if they were trying to do the whole who, whole who shot JR thing. I feel like this whole, this whole storyline makes me think about that because like when I introduced One Tree Hill to my mom, my mom said like, oh, this is just like what happened with JR. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. And then that's when she informed me and that's how I learned about Dallas. Yeah, that's a show that I have never seen. Yeah, I never have either, to be honest. I just know shit. Got it. <laughs> You're a wealth of knowledge, yes. Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, read the introduction of this next scene before we get to our next dramatic reading. Okay, so now we're at the Scott house. Nathan enters with his bag. Deb meets him at the door. Are you going to be Deb or Nathan? Can I, you, got, you got first pick. Can I be Deb? Yeah, you can be Deb. Okay, cool. Oh, Nathan, I was hoping that was you. I've been here alone all night. I had something to do. Oh, honey, I know this is hard for you, but I promise you, we'll be free soon. I know we will. Do you need help with anything? No, I just have one more bag in the car. Okay. She touches his arm and walks away. There we go to the front door of the Scott house. Nathan opens the door, and it is Haley. Standing outside with a bag, tears in her eyes, and she utters one word. Hi. And then we see Deb looking down from an upstairs window. Can we talk about Bethany Joy Lenz's high? Because it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, talk more about it. I feel the emotion in that one word. (laughs) Like, I just feel all the emotions. She nailed it's the really high. Good. She nailed it. You could have said the high so many different ways, but she totally nailed the emotion behind it. Yep. It's it's like her voice is breaking. She's like, hi. I know. It is like her voice is kind of breaking. You feel the sadness. You feel like she's wondering, like, will Nathan, you know, greet me with open arms? Like, will he accept me back? Like, there's so much in that high. <laughs> she really it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> It's really, <laughs> really fucking good. So Haley is back. And what's going to happen next? I don't know. But we still have more from the Skoda. All right. We are now on the beach. Lucas walks over to Peyton, who is sitting and staring at the ocean. Lucas says, looks like it's just you and me this summer. They embrace. Oh. I loved this. We have not seen a lot of screen time this whole season with these two. And I enjoyed this. But I think Peyton really was hugging him that hard because, like, she's gone through so much and she just needs someone, you know? Right. You can tell, like, these two obviously do have something between them. Yeah. That's me saying that. So, <laughs> they have they have a history. And there's a lot of love between the two of them. There's comfort there, you know? Uh-huh. And then we are back to the dealership. As the fire spreads, we hear Lucas's voiceover. Tennessee Williams once wrote, We all live in a house on fire. No fire department to call. No way out. Just the upstairs window to look out of while the fire burns the house down with us. Trapped. Locked in it. And then that's when the fire completely takes over the screen, fades to black. That's the end of the episode. I mean, and it's an unbelievable finale. It is so fantastic. Ooh. That coda is like the coda of all codas. <laughs> yes. And we have we have this big whodunit mystery. We're wondering, like, is Dan going to die here? That's one piece. But then we also need to figure out who did try to murder Dan. And we have a quite the list of suspects. Let's talk about a few of them. Yeah. Um. This, this should be interesting. 
So let's start with Keith. We see that he was in town. Maybe. Maybe, unless that was a figment of Karen's imagination. We don't really know as the audience, but he has quite a few reasons to want Dan dead. Yeah, I don't even know if we need to go into all those reasons, but like (laughs) hiring someone to seduce him, basically. Yeah, that's, there's a lot. Uh There's just a lot between the brothers. Yeah, and that just just transition to uh, Jules could also want him dead as well. Because we did see Jules, she did threaten him, like, earlier on in the season. She says, like, one day you're going to get what's coming to you. Both Jules and Keith could want Dan dad here. Yeah. I mean, he held so much over Jules' head for so long that... They could be working together, for all we know. Yeah, like, maybe Keith, like, you know, met up with Jules, and then the two of them were just like, let's take down Dan. He ruined our lives. The ultimate revenge. Yeah. But next up we have Zab. So we need to get into all the reasons why Dad would want him dead. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I do want to note, too, in this episode, she does say, your father can burn in hell for all I care. Burn. Lots of fire references. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which brings us to Whitey. Like, you're playing with fire, Danny. And you are about to get burned. Yeah, I'm glad you reread that quote earlier because, like, <laughs> I didn't fully catch that. Yeah. So that was definitely a threat. Many heated arguments. And then everything that Nathan's going through with with Dan. Like, these reasons kind of speak for themselves at this point. Like, the way he's been treated his whole life. The manipulation. How Dan has treated his mom. It just, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I also want to, like, point this out as a piece of evidence, too. When Nathan enters the house... And meets Deb. They both say things that are a little bit sus here. Deb says, like, oh, Nathan, I'm so glad it's you. I've been here alone all night. It's like, what are you trying to say, Deb? Like, are you trying to come up with an alibi? You were here alone all night? And then Nathan also says, I had something I had to do. I noticed those lines, too. Yeah, they are suspect. Yep. So, what is that about? And we'll talk about Lucas in a minute, but then... Haley also shows up in town at the same time. Like, all this is happening, so... Yeah, you're right. She does show up at the exact moment that <laughs> Dan is burning in the dealership. Maybe she just said, like, okay, come off from the tour. Let's torch Dan. And let me go back to my husband. Or maybe Nathan saw that uh, there was a forged signature on these annulment papers. Because we had, we had a conversation about that a few weeks ago. About whether this was uh, Dan Forge and Nathan's signature on the on the annulment papers. Maybe Nathan saw this, saw these annulment papers, said, "Hey, this is not my signature." And then maybe he calls up Haley and says, "Hey, how about we kill my dad?" What if the two of them are working together? Yeah, there are so many possible theories here. We also have Lucas. Lucas is very much willing to leave Dan behind and get out of the situation. And they, they had a heated argument in this episode, and then Lucas and Andy have been working together, so both of them could potentially be working to murder Dan. As we pointed out several times, uh, Andy has not checked in to his hotel, so is he still in Tree Hill trying to plot something against Dan? Good point. And then we have Karen. Karen did threaten him in the last episode. She threw a chair through his window 
And she said, next time, that'll be your face. Yes, that line. Oh, my gosh. And then we see her, like, the last scene where we see her in this episode, she's actually calling to see if Andy checked in, finds out that he did it, and then she said, okay, no, no, no messages. That's fine. So, who knows? Like, maybe she was inspired. Like, maybe I won't go to New Zealand now. Maybe I'll stick around and plot the ultimate murder. Wow. Also, I want to go back a few steps because, um, and I've been holding on to this, actually, until we got to this part of the episode. Um, we notice, uh, as Dakota starts, Dan has put in the ledger back in the safe, right? Here's a fan theory that I'm going to posit, okay? Stay with me here. What if Dan actually was committing these criminal activities? What if he actually did have a real ledger? What if he actually did have a real bag with real money, and he just had a fake to test Lu- Lucas's loyalty? And then what if that ledger that he hides in the safe, because why would you need to put a fake ledger in a safe? What if that ledger that he puts in at the end of the episode is actually the real ledger that he's hiding away? Maybe we're led to believe, like, oh, that's a real ledger. Dan could still be put away for this. But then here comes this person, whoever this is, who comes and torches the place. And now that person inadvertently leaks the real evidence that could take down Dan. Wow, that's an interesting theory. I never thought about it until I watched it this time, but... Because it just seemed really weird that we saw Dan put the ledger back in the safe, because I'm like, well, if the, if the ledger's fake, why would you even need to hide it? So that's that's a fan theory I'm positing. I don't know if it has much weight to it, but... I like it. So he had an actual ledger, but then he faked it in order to, like, throw off Lucas, and then now he's back to, like, what it was originally. Yeah. Which kind of adds more weight to the fact, like, this is why he freaks out about his ledger getting stolen and everything like that. Because who knows, maybe Deb actually did have the real ledger, and then that's when Dan, like, swapped it out and said, like, oh, I'm just going to act like this was a fake. This was my test of his loyalty or whatever. So in the end, both things could be true. Like, he he said yeah. that he faked it, but then in reality, like, he didn't actually fake it. And it's uh, that's really convoluted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a scheme, but I feel like it makes more sense if you think about, like, why Dan was, like, freaking out about being spied on and everything like that. So, I'm gonna put that fan theory out there as, like, a real thing, because this plotline never comes back. (laughs) Long story short. But, yeah, I kind of like that idea, though, how the person who torched the place inadvertently destroyed the real evidence. So now, if Dan does survive, that evidence is gonna be gone anyway, so they won't be able to take him down. If he does survive. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. So, uh, you know, this has been bothering us for like almost 20 years, and now we know. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens, okay? Why didn't you mention that earlier? We were talking about it. Well, I wanted to to wait until we we got to the end and we talked about like all the the torture and everything, you know? That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you so much. That clears up a lot that they never like really clear up. (laughs) Oh, oh, go- oh gosh, you're really, you're really like holding on to this. Okay, I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna throw this out there and see what happens. <laughs> no, I like and you're it. You're like, oh yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because the dealership is now burning, so like anything that was there is is gone. Yeah. So listeners, let us know. What do you think of that fan theory? I would like to. I would like to know. Does it hold weight, or do you have a fan theory of your own? Reach out to us. Oh, we'd love to hear them. But anyway, this was a fucking heavy episode but let's talk about some of our favorite things <laughs> what was your favorite quote it's between two but they're actually both from the same conversation uh 
Peyton says, now why is bitch being a Brooke? And then Brooke responds, I don't know, maybe because I'm leaving for the summer, possibly forever, and my best friend is off giving interviews and having pseudo-innocent foreplay with kind of married guys. But I think I'm going to go with, like, the first sentence. Why is bitch being a Brooke? <laughs> <laughs> it's just clever play on words. I thought it was cute. Honestly, that whole conversation that I had written down, too, basically, and um, that was my honorable mention. Which sentence? Why is bitch being a Brooke? Or? Well, she walks in, and she sees... Peyton and Nathan tickling each other or whatever. They're goofing off. And Brooke's like, well, yeah. well, first Lucas, then Jake, now Nathan. I guess slutty's in season. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's when Peyton says, and why is bitch being a book? Being a brook. <laughs> and it goes on from there. So that whole like that whole conversation, that's my honorable mention. I really love that. What, what is your what is your favorite quote, Caitlin? You can't say a whole conversation as your quote. Okay? Yes, I can. I'm gonna put my foot down. <laughs> no. down. That is not a quote. That is a conversation. That is a scene. We have done that before. <laughs> you have, and it always makes me mad. <laughs> oh, does it now? I've been holding this back for oh, two seasons, come on. and now I'm telling you the truth. Well, I guess the <laughs> like, I guess the last part when Brooke says okay. maybe because I'm leaving for the summer, possibly forever, blah 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 blah. You've already read it. I'm not gonna read it again. Yes. That that's a, yes, just an honorable cool. mention of mine. Another honorable. But what is your favorite? I will <laughs> get, hold on. And my other honorable mention is Haley's high because <laughs> I love it. It's just, just so well acted. And my favorite quote, and I guess you're going to be mad at me again because it is a conversation, but I guess I'll, I'll pick, we already read it. It's the Ellie and Peyton scene when Ellie tells her that I'm your mother. So I guess I'll say I'm your mother. It's my favorite quote. Just because it was like, ooh, wow, it really hits you. All right. Give me your musical moment since I guess the coda isn't yours, which is shocking. It's so good. Yeah. Um. I would say my favorite musical moment is uh, Be Yourself by Audio Slave. Just because, like, I love the montage of scenes. We see Karen take it off in the cab. Dan opens the gifts, quote unquote. Um, we see Deb lay down to rest. She's laying down on the couch. We see a little candle, like, burning in front of her. We see Brooke look at her Ravens uniform. Peyton looks at her. Sometimes they come back, piece of art, which. You know, that's kind of ominous, foreshadowing for what happens later. And then we see Nathan leave his apartment, and then we see that Karen calls and finds that Andy hasn't checked in yet. I I mean, I put that as my honorable mention. I have a few, actually. I I really love the song choices in this episode, like, as a whole. Um, Lavinia by The Veils was hands down my favorite. Like I said earlier, it like swells at the perfect moments. It's just so well edited, like the timing of the scenes with the song. I loved that. Um, but yes, Be Yourself by Audio Slave is an honorable mention. I also liked Wires by Athlete, which yes. pr- played during the Brooke and Lucas scene. And then yes. there was another song when Peyton's in her bedroom, um, Petrified to Be Godlike by Susie Sue. I really liked the vibe of that one. It was just kind of a moody song. Um but yeah, I I mean, there are some other songs that I like too, but those are like my top favorites. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I also gave an honor- honorable mention to Wires by Athlete, just because it's a Brooke and Lucas kiss scene. It was really good. It was really, really good. 
It's so good. Like when they when they touch lips and you hear that scene. I see it in your eyes. Yes. I see it in your eyes. And I like that the kiss is like a it's like a calm, closed mouth kiss too. It's ugh. I love these. Yeah, two it was so perfect. Much. It was a great song. It just like fit the emotion of it. But what would be your final rating for this episode? Five out of five. Goodbye kisses. And I give it five out of five whodunit clues. Nice. This episode's on fire. What can we say? It is absolutely on fire. I mean, I love both parts of the season finale. I mean, I give both of them five out of fives for different reasons. This one is complete fire. Like, it is. Wow. Wow. What a coda. (laughs) And this is one of my favorite season finales of the whole show yeah i think it sure. might be my second favorite i will not give any dumb i won't say anything more but i i think it's my second favorite season finale your second favorite i wonder what your first favorite is hmm i okay. know you know <laughs> i think i know too actually because i think it's i think it's mine too <laughs> we'll get into that when we actually get to that episode but uh but yeah i just think this episode is just absolutely amazing like I said, it's just, it's very fucking fiery. I think you were better at the fire puns than I was <laughs> in this episode. Yours were much more natural. Me, I kept, like, doing a wink to the audience. Like, <laughs> it's on fire, wink, wink, get it? There were many heated conversations. <laughs> I don't even know if some of those puns were intended that you were doing. You were just, like, doing well, it, like, going off. I was loving the it. The heated part. The first time I said it, I did not intend that, but... <laughs> <laughs> It worked. <laughs> anyway, uh, but before we get into the spoiler segment, we just want to remind our listeners that we will be taking a short break. But soon we will be back in no time for season three. And oh, what fun we will have then. Like what? Like kidnapping and getting married and burning letters from guys before we read them. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait for season three. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. So, Deb tried to murder Dan. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be really hard to not talk about this in the first several episodes of season three. We were struggling there, I think, trying to be like, oh, um, you know, it could be this. It could be this person. It could be, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like with the whodunit part, 
there are so many people it could be. So if you're honestly watching this for the first time, there are so many different people. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know it would, if Deb would really be obvious. I don't remember it being obvious the first time that I watched it. I d- you watched these episodes after you already so, knew, though. Yeah, I guess I did already know. I guess I must have, actually. Because I watched the end of season three, and then I, I probably... Keith didn't try to yeah, kill you. Yeah. I yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that moment. So you know. I did not know when I watched this, and my guesses were between Keith and Deb, but I was more leaning toward Deb. And you know why? And I I kind of wanted to talk about this in the episode, but like I just couldn't come up with an organic way to bring it up. Um, There's that moment where Deb takes like a little bag of pills out of a vase, and I was wondering, like, hush, is she going to crush those pills down into something? Like, obviously, I didn't know that until like after I rewatched it and knew what happens at the end. Oh, yeah. Because I watched this part. episode several times back in the day, think, you know, trying to pick up on the clues, trying to figure it out. But yeah, I was leaning toward Deb very, very strongly. Yeah, you're right. She does have that packet of pills. And I guess maybe I was more so thinking like she was going to relapse, but no, she was the one who put it in there. Yeah. So I think that's like a deliberate. I don't know if that was a deliberate clue to try to make it obvious that it's Deb. And she's laying on the couch. It's like she's thinking and contemplating. What to do. Which could be interpreted as, you know, oh, she took some pills and now she's relaxing because she's high. So that's, it's like, it, it's obviously a misdirect in some way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It could be perceived as both. But then the line she says when Nathan comes into the house, she's like, I've been here alone all night, which you had mentioned. Yeah. That is suspicious. No one ever says that. For sure. I've been here alone all night. I've been doing absolutely nothing here. I've just been chilling, <laughs> laying on the couch. Like, what What have you been doing? Like, don't, don't worry. We will be free. I yep, promise yep. you. We, we will be free soon. Nathan, Nathan, like, everything will be okay. <laughs> I tried to kill your father. What? what? I, I, I mean, like, you know, your father should be home soon. <laughs> and, like, in that conversation between both of them, like, they are both suspicious, which we already established. Yeah. But... Like, Nathan saying that he knows that we'll be okay, and that he had something to do that night, like, at all. They did that on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be so hard to, like, talk about the next eight episodes. Act like we all know. I know. I mean, this next season, honestly, is gonna be really tough. I'm having anxiety about that. I'm having even more anxiety about season four when we have to pretend that we think Brooke is pregnant. (laughs) Oh, that. I'm not worried about that. I'm more. I'm worried really. about like addressing the school shooting next next season. I mean, uh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, you're you're worried about real things. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I am looking forward to season three so 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 much. <laughs> I can't contain myself. But there are like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough not to talk about Deb being the killer and or the. The potent- the I mean, she basically, she's <laughs> <Yes>. trying to. <laughs> so, yeah, the attempted murderer. <laughs> and the school shooting is, and Keith's death, like, whoa. That's going to be, whew. Yep, there's a lot of shit, and it's going to be, it's going to be so fucking good. Um, other things we need to talk about, um, Allie, she is Peyton's birth mother, because Peyton was adopted. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is a real shocker. I can't wait to dive into this. Um, I'm also like, this is another storyline that like, oh my God, is heart wrenching. Just, it's, that's going to be a doozy of an episode to talk about because Ellie ultimately, you know, she has cancer and she's sick again and that's why she's reconnecting with Peyton and, oh, the episode when she dies is, There's, like, a lot in season three. I feel like I'm going to be crying every episode because all I can see right now is Hillary dropping the box of CDs and her face when she finds Ellie. That's all I can see. Which, one that I want to, like, be very intentional about before going into this, and I'm going to speak this into the mic, you know, so I can hold myself accountable, I guess. Ellie just sort of, like, drops down and dies like is that actually like a accurate representation of breast cancer because in the like in the preceding episodes like she's fine they're not the preceding episodes more so like the preceding scenes in that episode like she's fine and then all of a sudden she just like she just dies like is that realistic i want to know well based on my knowledge because my grandmother died with breast cancer no oh, yeah. <laughs> but that was also t- over 20 years ago um but that was like i guess around the same time period is this actually i mean when someone is sick and with a terminal illness and they're they're going to be like on hospice or you know they're going to slowly fade this seemed rather abrupt personally yeah it just seems very abrupt like it, it just seemed like a convenient time to say like oh we we just need to kill her like right now so we can do other things with these episodes so which I'm like, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good representation of of that at all. So I don't think so. Um, but I think what they were trying to show was that she had this energy because these were her last moments with her daughter, basically. Like she was getting through all of that and then just kind of let go. But I think that's what they were showing, but I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I don't think it works like that. Yeah. I would like to know from, like, from other people, though, like, if you're, like, an expert, like, in the medical field or or something like this, or reach out to us, alwaysothpod at gmail.com. Yeah. Maybe we could have you on the show. It'd be amazing, because I feel like they, there's some parts where they miss the mark, I feel yeah. like. And even so, even so, like, go back, like, a, to, to go forward, I should say, to go forward a few episodes, um, when they had the breast cancer benefit concert at Trek. Mm-hmm. And then we see Pete from Fall Out Boy speaking to the microphone and said, hey, this is Fall Out Boy. We love your breasts, so please take care of them. Which I think is very, very gross. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny, but it, it's not funny. <laughs> like, Yeah, I guess in that moment they were trying to be funny with that line. It'll be interesting to watch this whole storyline again. Yeah. I feel like we're smarter now. We know a little bit more yeah. about stuff, you know? What are you looking forward to in season three? What am I looking forward to, to in season three? Just everything. I don't know. I'm excited for Brooke and Lucas. I'm excited for that, too. Obviously. I'm excited for Nathan and Haley. The episode where everybody gets back together. <laughs> yeah. And the necklace. The necklace. <laughs> yeah. Wait, the, the necklace? When they the get necklace. back together and she pulls his necklace? Oh, you know oh, the necklace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With the... With, he takes off his shirt. That's also a hot scene, though. Yeah, it is. He takes off his shirt. He has a necklace, like, with the wedding brand, like, around the yep. chain. And then she grabs it. And then, ugh, that is I'm, good content right there. I'm really excited for the Neely stuff. I really am. 
that's a great episode all around. That's going to be a five out of uh-huh. five. Like I can already, I can already tell you. Yeah, you're gonna freak out. <laughs> that's the episode. <laughs> Season three is great. <laughs> it really, 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 really is. I feel like it's funny because like season three, most of the episodes that I rated were like three out of five. Then season two comes around and most episodes are four out of five. And now season three is going to come around. There's going to be a lot of five out of fives. We'll say, we'll say. I don't know. I feel like I'll still be like hard on some of the stuff because, you know, come on. I, I'm more of a critical nope, thinker Season now, three you know? has a special but- place in my heart. So... Most episodes are getting a five out of five. <laughs> There's gonna be problematic shits. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Let me love it. Let me love it. You can love it. Listen, you can love it. I, I just want to let our listeners know that we will be critical thinkers as well, you know? I know. But let me love it. <laughs> you can. You can love it. Just be critical of it at the same time. You can do both. You can hold two truths at once. That's what we always say about always and forever. Because don't forget, we will always and forever love this show. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe neither of us fucking talked about this. The things we're looking forward to in season three. Rachel Gatina. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. She stirs the pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so weird that her first episode is the Halloween episode. So it's going to be kind of funny, because I don't even consider that her first episode. She's there. But, like, how can we act like, oh, that's Rachel? <laughs> you know? I know. She is such a fun character. She's evil. She was our favorite villainous vixen, remember? Our highest yeah, rated. absolutely. I would go so far as to say she's my second favorite character of One Tree Hill. Oh, damn, really? Yeah. We know Brooke's the first. Yeah. She's definitely my second, just because Daniel Ackles, like, delivers an amazing performance. Like, she's so much fun to watch. I fucking adore her. Yeah, she's great. She really is great. I'm glad we get her in season three and season four. And we've already talked about how we're not happy how her storyline ends. <laughs> the, the character assassination uh-huh. of her. It's yep. just... But we will enjoy season three awful. and season four, because they're delightful. Yes. And uh, speaking of season four, the creepy messages that Peyton gets, we need to touch on those. So are we made to think that this is already Psycho Derek? Because it is weird timing that they do that with Ellie coming on this episode, but we know it's not Ellie. So who could it be? It's random. It's never addressed in season three. Yeah, it doesn't come back till the season four premiere. That's when we, uh, that's when we see Peyton gets messages. Again, it's the very end of the fourth season premiere. Yeah. So why, why did they throw this in here? To to, to sprinkle some seeds, I guess you could say. Do you think they really knew that that far in advance, though? Maybe they didn't know exactly what they were going to do, but maybe they were going, they wanted to, like, you know, give us a little bit of a breadcrumb right there. So they could do something with it later. I don't know if it was going to go so far and be like, oh, we're going to have this psycho who pretends to be Peyton's brother. Yeah. And then go from there. I don't know if they were thinking that deeply. Because I've always thought it was odd. And I kind of even forget that it's included in the season two finale because it's... Oh, you think it's odd? I think it's clever. (laughs) It's never addressed in season three. So that's why I find it odd because it's very far in advance for when they finally get to it. So my thought is like, were they originally maybe going to do that in season three? 
that could be Peyton's it, so. arc, you know, it takes it's a different direction because of the whole mother thing. So I don't know why they would have thought like they're gonna throw in a psycho Derek on top of it. And then this just supports yeah. the fact that like all the trauma that Peyton's character goes through, we're really getting into the thick of it now. Yeah. And we know that Hillary didn't really like this storyline for Peyton because where there was there was some uh there was something she wrote in her book which I haven't read. I read excerpts from it. I know you have read it. So like, please feel free to correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on any of this. But Hillary mentions that people were coming up to her saying like, oh, like, you know, our ratings for men doubled in the last episode because you were getting punched in the face. And it was like, there was a whole misogyny behind it. I know she mentions that, but now I've read that book two years ago, so I don't really recall. But I could have guessed that she would not like that episode. Um that whole storyline because of it's just it's over the top yeah i like it as a lover of horror movies yeah i will say that much but i will be thinking about that a little bit more critically about like why do they have to portray violence against women as this like this way to get ratings essentially yeah it's a disturbing story um but on the other hand i know that hillary burton really liked the ellie storyline and working with Cheryl Lee. Oh, yeah. Ooh, there's going to be many tears in season three. That's my prediction. <laughs> but we're in for a wild ride. <laughs> oh, we sure are. <laughs> season three is on fire. Um, arsonists uh, make fire. And you know what? I would walk up to an arsonist and be like, you like you, like an arsonist. That was terrible. That's a tough one. <laughs> but we're going to keep it. <laughs> that, that is a tough one. <laughs> Anyway, next time we'll be discussing the third season premiere, Like You, Like an Arsonist, which, as you heard in our intro, will be available for our patrons at the $2 level on June 21st. Woo! (laughs) Taken from our OTH DVD box sets, the description reads, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. Haley gives up the concert tour and comes home. Nathan gives up on Haley and attends High Flyers Camp. And Brooke agrees to be Lucas's girlfriend with one caveat. We'll be, we'll be seeing, seeing ya. ya. Ooh. It took us two seasons to get that right. Nice. <laughs>